Hey, Atari Hackers. So the other day I couldn't sleep and I was in my bed. So I grabbed my iPad and I started Googling random SEO queries just to see what I could find and what people were writing about. And when I ended up Googling for on-page SEO, I ended up finding a list of hundreds of factors that I've personally tried and most of them didn't really do anything to my rankings. And it really sucks because these huge lists that people try to brag about, 100 items, etc., just blend a few useful items with dozens of barely doing anything factors without weighting them at all, without us knowing which ones are good, which ones are not really that good. So today we decided to try and fix that and do an on-page podcast where we only share seven tips. But each of these tips has generated thousands and thousands of visits and a lot of conversions on our website. So if you are interested in learning how we optimize for featured snippets, how we optimize for search intent, or how we do our internal linking, stay tuned. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Atari Hacker Podcast. You really liked the podcast from last week on doing on like switching away from Amazon, like the really practical stuff, etc. So we decided to do another one this week and we decided to pick a topic that a lot of people are asking us about, which is on-page SEO. And we're going to try to share some tips that like, you know, we're not going to go like all of the stuff that you can just Google. If you want to know how to create a meta description, just Google it. That's not what we're going to do today. We're going to do that because we actually never had a podcast about on-page for us. We only had one with guests. We had one with Carl Roof, which is really good and really popular. We had one with Charles Float, but we never did ours. So I wanted to do this one today. But before that, we need to ask the traditional question. So how's it going, Mark? Well, I'm actually doing great, but my dog, not so much. He just got castrated sure. today. So I don't think you should share that. <laughs> Sorry, like you, so told me last, you, told like... me, you, you told me last week I need to share more information on this. I could go back to just saying, I'm doing great, thanks, and we could all go about you, our day, but... You just wanted to one-up the split squats, you know? You've unlocked something in me. I'm, I'm going to be oversharing yeah. from now on, I think. All right, go ahead then. All right, so everyone just send your wishes to Mark's dog in the comments if you or like some likes or something that would help us. He's doing fine, a little bit drowsy, but, you know, he's back on his yeah. feet again now. It's going to be harder tonight, though, like from uh, my dog experience. But anyway, before we start on this, if you want us to cover the story of our dogs, let us know in the comments. Otherwise, you can just subscribe to this podcast uh, below if you're on YouTube or on any podcast channel and you will not miss any of our episodes. And if you enjoy the content, if you like these kind of like really practical episodes, etc., uh, give us a like. We really use these metrics to see what you guys want to see more of, etc. So it's quite important. And also it helps us reach more people. Let's not lie about this. So it's really useful. And and if you want more content without waiting for next week's episode, what you can do is you can go on Atari Hacker Training where I have a two hour something webinar where I just share uh, the step-by-step -step plan that we use to create new sites. At the end, we will mention one of our courses, but the training itself has been rated by a lot of people who saw it as like better than a lot of paid courses. So I think you'll find a lot of value in there. So go check it out, AtariHackerTraining.com. Now let's just jump into the podcast. Let's jump into the on-page tips that people Want. But actually, before we actually jump into the actual tips, I want to like talk about a few things and set some context here. So feel free to skip if you don't want to hear that. If you just want the tips, it's fine. But I want to say that on-page does seem to matter more and more in the last few years. You know, with all these core updates, etc., it seems like Google essentially just eating away at like the power of links and replacing it with kind of like, you know, primeval AI factors that are based on the content on the page and they seem to be going back to that etc not without hiccups and i'm going to share some stuff that's a little bit weird to be honest a little bit later on stuff that works for us right now and i'm quite surprised it works to be honest uh, but it seems to be what they're working right now now the thing is like i'm saying it's powerful but it's not powerful enough to like make you rank for like really short tail keywords really competitive keywords etc you're not gonna rank for like best cbd oil with great on-page only, for example. It's not going to happen. It's too competitive. You, links are still probably the biggest factor. It's just they take you know a small percentage of that and give it to some new on-page factors. This I can believe, but you will need links as well. So on-page is, is a must-have for competitive queries, basically. But where it's really powerful is this for like medium to low competition queries, support pages, etc., 
where you don't actually need to run a link building campaign to rank. You just need a well-built page and you need a well-built page and you can just rely on internal linking and just your DR to actually rank for that keyword. We do that on most of our sites. Most of the pages we have, actually, we don't run link building for them. It's We only rank link building as few pages. This has really come to our attention much more recently. One of the other sites we're working on, I think we've built maybe one or two links in total to the domain. And we have a bunch of pages now ranking really well just through on-page optimizations. It's not super competitive stuff, but you know, this yeah. is a, a, a four-figure. It's consumer niche. It's like yeah. a random consumer hobby niche, let's just say. And it's like that site's like in the four-figure range was like it was a DR6 or something. <laughs> it was like it was making and that's with like the, the new Amazon commissions, etc. That was actually mostly based on Amazon. So yeah, it shows that you can do more than maybe we thought before with on-page. I think it's a week. I think the first time we went to Chiang Mai this year, I was talking with a bunch of uh, guys, and I was like, "Oh, guys, we're like really good at link building, but we kind of suck at, at on-page." And I really spent like two years really just testing a bunch of stuff and like really paying attention to these, etc. And I think now we're pretty good. I think the problem with on-page is that if you go to Google and you say, you know, on-page optimization, on-page ah. SEO, look for some tips there. It sucks. You get a, a lot of things which you know, as you said before, don't necessarily move the needle, you know, your meta yeah. description, title tags, tags uh, yeah, image alt tag, all this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying like, it's not a factor in some way or the other. Yeah. It's just like, if you're going to spend your energy doing it and expect changing a few of those things to make a big difference, it's probably not yeah. going to do it. If your page is thing- not ranking, like the alt tag is not going to save it, you know, it's like... <laughs> yeah. So what were you going to say? But the, the things we're going to cover in today's episode hopefully they will move the needle. Yeah, I mean, it's based on personal experience from the past two years, basically. But before we jump on the tips, another teaser, last one, promise. I want to talk about on-page tools because they're more and more popular. We have been promoting Surfer SEO, which we actually use for most of our content at this point. But the thing is, like, people have been doing on-page before tools, but I think the real change that happened with on-page tools is doing on-page before tools, you essentially made your own checklist of what you believed were important on-page factors. And then when you were publishing a page, you were just ticking the boxes of like, you know, make sure you have your code in your title tag, da 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 da, etc. On page tools, what they do is they actually scrape all the results for a given query, and then they try to derive what seems to be important for that query. And so it's it's a little bit more granular. It's something you could do manually, but honestly, like calculating keyword density for multiple keywords on all the pages that rank, and doing the average, and doing all that. Unless you have a very low paying job, it's probably not worth your time and it's probably better to pay for a tool for that. So that's why I like them. But at the same time, I don't like taking what they give you for granted, right? Because all they do is just like scrape stuff and do averages, essentially. And that doesn't mean these are ranking factors. They just tell you what the average page that rank looks like. So first of all, for example, I'm thinking of a tool like Surfer because we use that, but like, you know, pay, as we said, links are still probably the biggest ranking factor right now. And so if a page ranking for their links, they can have very, you know, a much lower quality of page and still rank well because they have a lot of links to that page or they have a high domain authority, etc. And so a lot of these tools tend to put these pages on the same level, you know, and they don't really like weight it based on their link metrics. And so it's quite dangerous to follow these tools blindly. You need to apply a large degree, it's kind of like the beginning of the industry, right? It's like you need to, there's still manual work, it just saves some time and makes it prettier than a spreadsheet, basically. But you need to be a little bit careful. It's kind of like a, it's a map, it's not the territory thing. Uh, so yeah. the advice they're giving you and the, the ranking factors, they make a difference, but they also might not. Very often they don't, I think. You shouldn't just follow it blindly. And also you have to be aware, and this is especially in competitive keyword for competitive queries where there's a lot of internet marketers who are also using similar tools. Yeah, then they'll copy each other. You you get this thing because essentially it's correlation analysis is going to result in a page, your page, which is lower down, being more similar to the pages which are, you know, on page one or position one, two, three. If everyone keeps doing that for multiple cycles, you get into the situation where there's like this convergence and everyone's just kind of doing the same thing. But it's not based on like raw what is the most valuable factors is based on what is currently ranking number one so there's 
often some headroom above what's currently ranking number one, which would result in better optimization. We'll talk about that later, actually. Like we'll talk about like how you can differentiate, et cetera, because this is kind of like a, a big debate that comes with all of this, right? If you like, if you end up just copying everyone, how do you get better, you know? And I yeah. think it's a tweet by Nipata tweeted that this week and people were like, lol, because Nipata is known for copying oh, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he, he tweeted, I think uh, it's hard to beat your competitors when you just copy them. So yeah. I don't know if it was ironic or not, but it's an interesting debate nonetheless. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so like on-page tools, I still think they're useful, but you need to apply a fair, way more uh, criticism to the result you see than pretty much 99% of people you see on Facebook groups. Let's just say that. In terms of stack, I'm just going to give you three stacks, the very cheap way, which is using Website Auditor, which has a pretty good TF-IDF. I used to use TF-IDF, the TF-IDF analysis from them before Surfer came out. There's this, and then there's actually content editor thing that gives you the keywords to include in your content on AppSumo right now called Phrase Content Editor. Usually AppSumo's, you know, they're kind of like copies of the main tool. So it's like, it's a B-grade tool. According, I haven't tried it, but according to the people that bought it and tried it, sometimes it's a bit weird, but you know, you get at least some suggestions when you're writing your content, which is quite useful and you don't have to pay monthly for it. Unlike pretty much every other option out there. So if you want a cheap option, Website Auditor has a free version and you can just go by the AppSumo and you have an, uh, an okay stack to start doing on-page optimization. The value for money, personally for me is Surface SEO. They have pretty cheap plans. Like you can start at 29 bucks a month or something which um, is fair and they have the content editor. It plugs into Google Docs as well. So you don't really have to change your process because most people use Google Docs. I quite like it personally. And I feel the pricing is fair. So, you know, usually you'll be spending between 29 and 99 or like uh, I think 169 or something for the biggest plan. But if you're already at these higher prices, you already spend a lot on content, etc. You don't write everything yourself. So it's like, it's just a small percentage of your expenses. And if you want the really fancy ones, etc., which I personally don't recommend, I feel they're overpriced, but like the fancier ones, there's something like Market Muse, for example, which I think now they're in the thousands of dollars per month. And clearscope.io as well, which was a tool we used before Surfer had theirs as well. I think it was $299 for like 50 optimizations per month. And they were very similar to the content editor from SEO, from Surfer SEO. And that's why when I look at these, like I feel like Surfer is value for money, by the way. Like, and when I compare yeah, to those, these, those like others, like they really position themselves as like enterprise tools. Um, yeah. I, I think it was Clearscope. You need no, to Clearscope like, talk is to right in between. Yeah, I mean, same with Market News. Like, do a sales call with them or something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, they emailed me three times, and then I was like, they were like sending me the AI. I'm just gonna say bullshit. AI. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, guys, I've I've used so many of these tools. Just give me access already. <laughs> and eventually, they gave me. It was a long time ago, but they gave me access eventually, and I could try. It. But yeah, there was like this kind of crazy long sales cycle where they would like you need to reply to six emails to actually even be able to get the tool, which was insane. So yeah, um, ClearScope is essentially what Surfers come along and it's done a arguably better implementation of this technology at a more kind of mass market range. Uh, I think Market Muse is like uh, probably has some, so Market Muse has this thing where they do like keyword research for you, but like Surfer is working on something similar where they basically find like, oh, the sites that rank for this keyword also have these seven pages on these seven keywords. Maybe that matters for internal linking, etc. So they do that, but like Surfer is working on it actually. So hopefully that will come out soon. It's not ready yet, but um, they gave me a teaser and that looks pretty cool. So let's see what happens there. But I personally feel Surfer is good. And if you don't have the money for it yet, Website Auditor, it's free. Phrase Content Editor on AppSumo, I think it's $39 or something, and you pay one off. So that's what I would recommend you go for. All right, now that we clear the, the on-page tools, because it was a big request when I posted about this podcast on the Facebook group, let's finally jump on these freaking tips, because people are waiting, right? And I'm going to start with um, a boring one. It's, it's newish, but it's boring. And that's matching the search intent is the most important on-page factor right now. And if you don't have that, regardless of all the other tricks you're going to put together, even links, right? Even if you have way more links, if you don't match the search intent of the query, and when I say the match the search intent, I mean, you have the type of content that Google expects for that query. So now you Google, I don't know, if you Google best, I'm going to take the example later. So best Olympic barbells, usually you'll see random previews, all of them are ranking. But if you Google Olympic barbells, then you'll see e-commerce results and then they want e-commerce results. If you Google 10 ways to use your Olympic barbell, or like you will- Olympic like barbell ways to use exercises. 
Yeah, then you get a list basically, or, or like how to use, like how to store your Olympic barbell or something. Then you get a tutorial or something. So like you get these kind of like formats that you will see probably on more than half of the results. So usually Google still mixes a bit. So you get a bit more than half that matches that one format and you see it very clearly just from the title tags usually. Then you might have some other things uh, that tend to rank for how many links they have. Usually the results that don't match the search intent just have way more links. So you need to match that, which means uh, and it's like, it's pretty brutal. Like we had really good content with all our links that got destroyed from it. An example I had for this one was actually Ahrefs. So Ahrefs wanted to rank for backlink checker. And um, what they did is they had a blog post for our page for it. They had a page that described the tool they have. But actually when you Google backlink checker, what there was is there was actually tools there. Like you could actually, you know, it's essentially a free version of Ahrefs that was way worse from competitors where you could just put a URL and get some results. And so they couldn't rank for it, they were page two or three. And then one day they actually made, if you Google Backlink Checker, now Ahrefs actually has a free version of Backlink Checker on that page. And they swapped that and there's way less text, et cetera, which is interesting because I think it reinforces the fact that on page is not just about the text, it's about matching the intent. Now that page ranks really high on Google, it's usually top three or something, without them doing any extra link building, anything else, just changing what's on the page and matching what people want. So obviously that's an example for a tool, so it doesn't apply to a lot of people, but it works for these posts, it works for roundup reviews, it works for affiliate stuff. We've seen it, we've done it, we got, we got the good side and the bad side of it, to be honest. And the funny thing is like, we've seen Google implement that over the years, meaning that we used to rank for stuff and then they decided to implement that and boom, we just tanked in rankings and, and that kind of like killed us. So that is the one that I would recommend you follow. Now, what do you do if your content doesn't match the search intent, right? Because like we all have pages, we'll just like look at that page and we'll Google the query and be like, yeah, that's not it. Honestly, there's no two ways around it. You're going to have to redo your page and that, that kind of sucks and you're going to have to do it. However, I have a, a pretty unique take on using search intent and actually bringing back that debate on how do you one up your competitors when you all copy each other? Because essentially, like search intent is a not, not copy each other, but copy the copy the search intent. I know, but you know that what happens in real life. It's like that's what we say on the podcast. That in real life, what people do, they copy each other. And to be honest, Google highly encourages that. And so I like my theory on this is like if you want to rank for a competitive query. We'll talk about updating content later, but more than likely it will take some time and you need to update your content several times, right? And so my idea of this is actually to write the first version of your page without matching the search intent, but building it in a way that is better for link building. So, you know, including stats, including the stuff that actually people want, because really there's a difference between what sometimes people want for a query and what people find. A good example, how to make money online, like Google that, it's all crap what you find on Google, you know, but like, it's like you could make a page that really matches what people want and actually convince people to link to you through outreach, through all of that, et cetera. Even guest posting, maybe make a page that doesn't look like it's just promoting Bluehost like crazy, even though now, because every page promotes Bluehost is pretty much part of the search intent. So you do that version. You promote it for like six months. You really, really link build hard to it and you build that page that people have no problem linking to it. And then you rebuild that page completely from scratch, matching the search intent for the query. Now that you have that URL with the links and that people will find linking to it. And what you can do is you can reuse that epic version as an epic guest post on like a massive site or something. And you can actually give that content to someone else and use it to essentially push that page through a really powerful link. But what is even more powerful is if this page is really good, you can, let's say it was six months or a year later now after you've done all of that, et cetera, by the time you manage to place it, et cetera, it's a year later. You can do a second round of link building to the guest post <laughs> so that you have a tiered link building, you have tiered link building to that epic link that links to you. And then you, at the same time, you have a page that matches the search intent for the query. So you need to write the page twice, but anyway, for really big queries these days, you don't just get it on your first try most of the time, unless you're really hardcore on links and you just like buy a million links, basically. What do you think about that? Uh, sounds kind of dodgy to me, to be honest, like bait and switch. What is dodgy? Honestly, when you update content, that's what you do just unconsciously, you know? So the links that you acquired 
the content that would currently be on, so after you've done that process, currently be on the page, would not have been, or the links pointing to it would not have been for that. So like, yeah. surely that's counted. I mean, it's not in the you. sense that, it's not like, I mean, we've done it on a toy hacker. Like if but you like, look at- um, Every single link that's ever pointed to a page, regardless of how much the point the page changes, count the same. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I find it hard to believe. <laughs> I mean, I do believe links age, you know, but I don't think that, no, it's like if you change the color on the page, it actually works, you know? And we've done it on the Toy Hacker several times when we had to update for search intent, where we had like really epic, it wasn't deceiving. Like we intended to make really good content. There's a difference between like updating it, tweaking it, you know, adding new sections, whatever. And then like, oh, here's one post and here's a comp some completely different. Um, mm, that you, you I, I don't think so. Think about it like Google rolled the search intent. We did that several times, I'm telling you, where we had really cool content that did not match the search intent. It collected a lot of links. And then we literally scrapped that page and wrote a brand new page. Should we email everyone that link to that page and ask them to remove the link? No, of course not. I'm just saying like, so, I'm just saying like as, a, as a core strategy to like put, put a lot extra effort in to do it rather than just matching the search intent straight off the bat. Here's the problem with the search intent. Uh, it's highly debatable. No, I don't think so, because I think a lot of pages that rank for competitive queries did exactly that. They actually captured links at a time where you could write anything about the topic and get links, so you could create something really cool. And they've updated their page to match the search intent. Now, I see a lot of people doing that. And essentially, they didn't do it on purpose. It's just history happened, you know? And essentially, they had something really cool and they replaced it with a shitty list post because that's what Google wants. And if they want their traffic, that's what they have to put on that page. And before that, that page was a way better page, way more interesting, something that you would actually want to share on your social media, et cetera. Whereas now, you wouldn't. It's just matching. It's just the shitty list that Google wants to see, you know? Sure. I mean, I, I get that. I just... It sounds kind of dodgy to make doing that, going through that that second stage, or that that two step process, like a core part of your your strategy in in the sense that you think it would actually move the needle significantly. I do think it would move the needle significantly. Uh, well, just to be fair, we haven't, we haven't actually no, we haven't actually tried this as a no. We have like we have off, done it off the bat without intending it. No, we've tried it without intending it. We have taken pages that used not, to be not not that bit about the putting it on a guest post layer though. No, we haven't done that. Like this one is just like how to recycle the content, but it's not even the most important part. The most important part is how do you get links to page? With because the problem is like when Google just wants a top ten list, nobody wants to link to that. And so what do you do when your query, like the top five results have 80 linking root domains, 80, 90 linking root domains? How do you get there when you match the search intent and nobody wants to link to the content that matches the search intent? Sure. So, I mean, like, uh, how far do you push this though? Because like, this is bait and switch, like no two ways about it. So yeah. can you do like CBD or review or something and then put, you know, some high informational post not promoting anything and then change it once it has a, a bunch of links. Can you do that with like commercial content? I think it's it's tricky because if the site was sold, the new owner would have no remorse doing that, right? Mm -hmm. What do you mean? You understand? It's like, it, I'm saying, let's say I built my site, it's fully inf informational, I have no intention to switch it. It's a great site, acquired a lot of links, right? I go on Empire Flippers, I sell my site. And then the new owner is like, oh, well, this page is under monetized. Let me put a roundup preview on this page instead because it's going to make so much more money. And they switch the content. How is that different for the end user, mm -hmm. for the people who link and for the end users from the internet? I mean... It's not. It's the same thing happens to everyone except the owner of the site. Okay. So what I'm trying to say is, okay, turn it around. How far can you push that? I think you can push it pretty far. I think it's like, uh, it depends. obviously, we know how this industry works. It depends on everyone's moral code, which tends to be below average in this industry. So I think a lot of people will push it. But I, that's why I want to be practical on this. And I think it's not the end of the world. I, it's, what you could do as well is you could just move that content to another URL and just link to it in the, on that page, for example. You know, you could do that. We have done that for keyword difficulty on Atari Hacker. We had a post that got a ton of links where we just compared keyword difficulty between multiple keyword tools. <laughs> the problem is this keyword difficulty just updates all the time, right? And that post was just really bringing any traffic despite the fact it got a lot of links because it was interesting, but it wasn't a good keyword. So people linked to that. And what we've done is we've actually just 
deleted that page. We redirected it, so all the links that were pointing to it, we moved them to our best keyword tool page, and we just made a section on keyword difficulty that's way less developed than the original post, you know? And uh, so that's, for example, I think it's quite similar to, the say, to that. And I don't think it's deceiving in any way because it's just like it was not worth it to sustain that page on the okay, website. Yeah. Even so, I mean, the, there's, two, there's two things here. There's like, do we know ourselves this is deceiving or not? That's one thing. The other thing is like, what does Google think of it? And so doesn't are you shit. <laughs> basically saying you have carte blanche to do this as much as possible. And, yeah, uh, honestly, this Google should doesn't be like care. a primary strategy. You should every article you ever produce on your site should first mm -hmm. be high info to get shitloads of links and then bait and switch it to be like promoting. Viagra I would do that for every article. I would do that for like highly competitive cures, yes. And it's like it, it works really well. And also you can just take slightly alternative angles. For example, that cure difficulty one instead of best keyword tools, nobody wants to link to that. Comparing keyword difficulty, people were really interested linked to that, for example, on Toy Hacker. Have you seen affiliate sites do this and like, uh, you know, with Wayback no. Machine or anything like that? No, I mean, what people do is they just buy pages off each other and buy redirects of each other, which is kind of the same thing. So it's like, oh, you have, I have that article on keyword tools and you have that, your site is dead and you also have that article on keyword tools that, that has 40 links, it's completely different content, but I'll just pay you for the redirect and then just get redirected. Essentially the same thing as well, right? Whether it's a redirect or it's a rewrite of the content, it's exactly the same thing. You end up on another page, you know, that's mm -hmm. not exactly the content that was linked to initially. Does Raw Canonical still work for that? Yeah, the problem with Rockanical is it's only a strong hint to Google. It's not mandatory for them to respect it. And usually, so it works well when the content is identical, but when the content is not identical, then it can happen that Google does not honor it and then they don't pass any linkages. Sure, when redirects are better and cleaner, but Rockanicals can work. What you can do is you can, if you just have partial duplicate content, then it works. So maybe take a, a few, a, a section of the page that you're Rockanicaling or something and that would work pretty well. Anyway, that was basically, that was just one of the things just to talk about search intent, right? So we like literally like we went down the rabbit hole quite a bit, but I think that's quite interesting to talk about all of this, but I, all of this to say, you will probably not rank well if you don't measure search intent at this point. And I think that, I think the problem, the core problem is that Google is promoting copycat content. In the end, that's why we can create great content and rank like we used to. Now they just will fall and they will just force the same thing. And the thing is that spots that question as well. If you want to create content that matches a search engine, how do you stand out and get links, right? So really there's not a million ways to do that. You could do outreach, guest posts, etc., and get links that way. That works well. People pay for links as well. Or you can do extremely good production value. So someone like Brian Dean, for example, Backlinko, that's what he does, right? He does, he has good content, but I think what makes his site so good is not the content itself, it's the way it's presented and how nice it is to consume the images, the illustrations, the colors, the fonts, the everything. It's beautiful, it's nice, it looks professional. And even if it was the same thing as what we would say on our site, because we're not as good as him, at presenting the content. He will attract way more links on top of being quite good at promotion. So I think production value and videos, images, etc., are a good way to create content that matches the search intent without and be able to stand out, attract links, etc. And things like branding, site, the way the site looks, etc., is quite important for this. But I still know, and honestly, I encourage you, Mark, to go on any competitive keyword and put the URLs that are ranking with content that exactly matches the search intent in Wayback Machine and to check the redirects to these pages. And you're very, you'll be surprised. It feels like it literally there is a ceiling. And if you play by the rules right now, you will never reach it because people back in the day were able to acquire links that you won't be able to acquire because they were able to have random content and get links to it. So they, they were able to do something cool that would get links that you cannot do if you want to rank these days. And you know how this works. If, if you rank, you get links, et cetera, et cetera. So they would essentially like, they would get into that virtuous loop that does not exist as much anymore these days, you know? I saw, was it Brian Dean or was it someone else? They bought a website and they redirected it to like one section, one subcategory of their page to like transfer all that link. Juice so there's two, yeah, Brian Dean did that with Point Blank SEO. I think the better example of this one is Healthline about authoritynutrition.com a couple of years ago. And no relation, we all know, well, yeah, it's not our site, I wish, but no. It's a guy called Chris Gunnar from Iceland, I think. 
And so, like, it works really well. But, like, it shows, that's why a lot of, like, top positions for BigKey was acquired in ways that you could not acquire without doing this kind of stuff these days because they have done that, essentially. Just, it used to be the rules back then, you know? And so, like, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, how would you build McDonald's now when, like, everything's so much more expensive? It would be much harder, you know? Same mm -hmm. thing. Now let's talk about the next point. I think we've talked about search intent enough. <laughs> that went a little bit off topic, but I think people, like, tell us if you like us going off topic or not in the comments, because otherwise I will cut it short next time. The next one is actually a controversial one. I think Roger Monty from Search Engine Journal will love this one. Our good friend. <laughs> this one is exact keywords work way better than you think. And I posted about this podcast on our Facebook group, on the Toy Hacker Pro Facebook group. And Lewis, put, uh, Lewis, who is an ex-writer for Toy Hacker, but now is just a member of the community and just built his sites, etc. posted like, insert your keyword on the page as a tip for on-page. I was like, well, thank you very much, Lewis. But actually, he's not completely wrong. You know, I mentioned that I disagree with on-page tools, and that's usually the one thing I disagree with, is the amount of exact keyword on the page. I used to not believe in that. I used to believe that Google was way too smart for that that they could figure it out if you had synonyms, extra, and they do to some extent, right? And then one day, as part of these two years of experimenting with on-page, I started going crazy on just putting my keyword on the page, right? I actually looked at some of our rankings before that podcast. I picked a random page that ranks number one for a mid-competition term. It's not the most difficult keyword, but it's also there is competition. People are trying to rank for it as well. People are trying to build links for it, et cetera. And the exact keyword density for that three-word keyword is 1.26% on the page, which is a lot. It's one in 80 words. One in 80 combination of three words is our target keyword, which is really high. And uh, if you take um, two words out of the three that kind of like describe the keyword still quite well, it's 2.37% density. So it's really high. And that ranks number one with feature snippet. And we'll talk about feature snippets in a second because these are important as well. And basically, most of the time when I get results from Surfer or any of the on-page tools, I tend to put more exact keywords than they give me. And I've done it, we've done it many times where the writer wrote with the Surfer indications, we published it, we waited like two, three months, and then I went back and all I did was add more exact keywords. Obviously, and we'll talk about that as well, updating content. There's an effect of updating the content. So I, I tended to not look at the bump in ranking as you update the content, but rather look at where we rank six to eight weeks after I've touched the page, because otherwise it feels like, like it feels like it would fade off from the update. And pretty much every single time we've ranked higher by adding more keywords, exact keywords, not even variations, not even trying to be smart, anything, just like the exact keyword. So yeah. So there, so there you have it, folks. The latest <laughs> on-page SEO tips from 2020. Stuff your, Stuff your exact keywords. <laughs> well, I was surprised, right? It's like it's it's like I didn't. If you listen to like some of the first podcast episodes, you hear me say the opposite. But I mean, I'm talking from like us optimizing pages and often doing that. And we we'll talk about this in the next session. We we'll talk about few snippets in the next section. So stay tuned. But yeah, that has worked pretty well. So. The question everyone's going to ask is like, oh, what density should I go for my content? In a, for my, and honestly, 7.2958 was it percentage <laughs> recurring? What? What are you talking about? a joke. Okay, never mind. I, anyway, I have no idea. I have no idea how much. Usually what we do is we write following the guidelines of the on-page tool. And I would usually do that when the post is on like page one, but like, you know, between nine and four, let's say. Like it's not top three. And it's kind of like stabilized there. So basically any gain in rankings or hitting the top three would be a massive increase in traffic. Usually I do that and I don't really look at the density. I just go through the content and add it where it makes sense in the text without making it shit, you know? I also don't look where I put it, whether it's H2s, H3s, etc. I just add it three to five times in the content usually, let's just say that. Like it's really not scientific or anything like that. There's no, so, uh, no correlation study. It's like the actual work every day, you know? Like, it's something we've actually started screening writers for now when they, uh, they apply to work with us. So in the test article, which we'll, we give them, we ask them to fit certain keywords in and they would be like typically unrelated to the, the topic or not very closely related. So it wouldn't occur naturally. And how good they are, at stuffing or fitting that keyword in while still making it sound like natural and not like obvious is a factor which we consider when deciding if we're going to hire them or not. 
Yeah. So it's surprising. It's, let's just start. Let's jump into that. So like I said, it doesn't matter what the keywords are. It's not exactly true because it doesn't matter for the normal login ranking, but it matters a lot for your feature snippets. And so let's jump onto feature snippets, which is the next point here, because they're kind of correlated with each other. I mentioned it in a previous episode, and we're going to be putting a card on YouTube so you can go and check that episode. It's a short one. That feature snippets change the way you pick your keywords, because essentially the way it works is like feature snippets is only number one for pretty much every query at this point. And you don't have to be the number one organically to get it. You just need to be in the top five, six, seven. And then Google is just going to pick whatever blurb of text matches more what they're expecting for the query. Usually it is preposition based. So it's like what, how, when, etc. like the kind of questions people put in Google. So like what is, and then you should say keyword is da, 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 da. And it's like how to, and then usually how to is going to be steps. So it's going to be one, two, three, four, five, six. You know, like basically for each preposition, you should look at the way they are picking up the phrase and pick something like that and put it in there. So it's really changed keyword research because essentially you don't have to rank number one anymore to be number one. You just have to be in the top five, six, which changed massively the way we pick our keywords. We don't mind if people are the R90 in the top three anymore because we know that if we're in that pool for featured snippet in four or five, then we can go and compete for that. And this is not relevant at all how authoritative your site is. Even links don't seem to matter that much. It's really just a, an on-page game, and so you're able. It's fair play from that point, and you can be competing against a DR90 site and take their feature snippet. We've done it many times. Several members have done it many times as well, and so it works that way. It's quite a sort of uh, wide-open landscape at the moment as well, and just the nature of featured snippet optimization is it's like you need to kind of constantly battle for it, and I think bigger organizations are not so agile at doing that. Yeah, it's becoming more and more competitive, though. You can see, like, um, I can see, yeah, I see it against, like, smaller blogs that no SEO. I mean, like, that's why Atari Hacker is interesting, because we just get everything faster, because everyone's doing SEO. But, um, yeah, it's becoming more and more competitive, meaning that you tend to have to optimize for them. And the way it works these days, the way you get few snippets, it's like before, when it just started, it would just pick a random piece of your text, Right. But nowadays, the way people do feature snippet is they create special sections on their page for Google to scrape. That's how it works. So for example, if you look at HubSpot, if you go on the HubSpot blog, they have these like, did you know boxes, etc. And if you look at the HTML of these boxes, it literally is called feature snippet box, like the name of the section from the box. It's like they build them for that. And what they do is usually they, you can make a fancy box like HubSpot, but usually it's just a heading and some text below or some bullet list, etc. You might find some of these on a toy hacker if you, if you look properly. And it works pretty well. So you, yeah, the lazy way is like put an H2 on H3 with your exact keyword, the exact query you're trying to rank for, for the feature snippet, and then whatever Google is expecting below that, whether it's a sentence, whether it's a bullet list, whether it's a numbered list, whatever you see for that query, you try to match that, and you go crazy on keywords. Like exact keywords are even crazy on feature snippets than they are on... Um, like just for your organic rankings. It's quite insane. It feels like, you know, it's like feature snippets is not that old, right? Like maybe Google started working on this like three, four years ago. And um, it's not that refined. It's, I, I expect a lot more factors to come in for feature snippet, but right now it's like sentence structure and exact keywords plus keywords. Usually the way it works is like you Google your query and, you know, some words are bolded in the meta description or the titles, etc. And these words, they want to see them in a feature snippet, basically. So it's pretty basic the way it works and we tend to reserve a lot of our exact keywords on the page for that feature snippet area by the way you can have multiple feature snippet areas i've seen actually was doing um, as i mentioned in previous podcast i was doing quite a bit of competitor research lately and i've seen sites with like seven featured snippet base one below the other where it was bullet list and it's like literally at the end of the article they just smash all of them and they just picked you know maybe half or something and again it's not worth having it if you're not ranking like top six top five six for a query so maybe you even rotate them depending on your rankings you just have like a, a spreadsheet with like 20 of them and depending on the queries you, you rank for you actually just add that in, in and out to the page to actually try to catch it and another thing that is quite important for feature snippets in terms of on page is the HTML that they're in. It's something that I've, I was also surprised. It's something that will make people who hate page builders very happy because it actually seems to be true in that case. The story is, and I shared it on my SEO, where I was trying to get, get a feature snippet for a query and then I pretty much did everything I talked about so far, like these 
section, the H2. I had my bullet list. I had a lot of exact keywords, etc. I still couldn't get it. And the only thing I changed was I moved the page from Elementor to Gutenberg. Gutenberg does add tags when you look at the text version in WordPress. Like they will add some like tags, but in the HTML of the page, they don't show these tags. So the HTML is pretty clean from Gutenberg. I just did that and I could snag it from that. And we did it several times after that. And every time it worked. And now we moved all the pages we're trying to snag feature snippets from to Gutenberg. And that has worked really well. We have a lot of feature snippets right now. So it seems to be quite important. What we tend to do now, if we want to bring Elementor in these pages for some elements, is we create custom sections in Elementor. You can do that. And then you can call them with a shortcode in the page. And you can still have whatever you wanted from Elementor on the page without affecting your feature snippet area and capturing them. So essentially, that's feature snippets. That's how they plug into exact keywords. And you can usually the way we where we put our feature snippet section is after the introduction of an article. But we don't put four or five. We usually put like one, maybe one at the beginning, one at the end or something. But some sites I've seen put five, six feature snippet based one below the other. It just it's crazy because it's literally like H2 bullet list of seven elements, H2 bullet list of seven. It makes no sense for the user, but Google still scrapes that and sends it off traffic. I think that's why it kind of feels like the early days of SEO, you yeah. know, like the the Wild West when Google hadn't really figured out what it wanted to do. And it's just like random shitty sites are ranking because of like keyword stuffing and shit like that. I would, exp I mean, we're recording this in August, 2020. You know, if you're listening to this next year, or even a few months down the line, I wouldn't be surprised if things drastically change. But, you know, make the most of it while you can. I mean, I would expect them to fuck it up in 2020. That's what everyone does this year, right? Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's basically feature snippets. Let's go back now to something we mentioned earlier, but we haven't been diving into, which is uh, updating content, right? And for this, I actually tell the story and I give the keyword for one side. I don't think I ever gave the keyword. We used to rank for that Venus Factor review on one of our sites, which was like a really big, it's not big anymore, um, but it used to be a really big diet product. We used to make a lot of money from affiliate commissions from this. It was four or five years ago, and the um, updating page factor was so strong that every time we, we used to be ranking, ranking number one, but every time we dropped to two or three, there was a time where I went to a page and I did a dot at the end, like a, a full stop. Like I just added a second one, I updated the page. We went from number four to number one, just doing that. Adding absolutely no content to the page. <laughs> you know, none of the stuff that you'll hear about, just the fact of changing the color on the page, going back to Webmasters Console, re-indexing it, waiting five minutes, back to number one, right? So that's how good this was. I don't feel it's as fast and as powerful these days. I feel like without a meaningful edit to the page, it doesn't work as well. Maybe we work on more competitive queries, this wasn't that competitive, despite the fact that um, we did quite like it was paying quite well. I guess people didn't realize, but uh, it still works really well. Like when you basically, we tend to update our content for two reasons. First, again, like we we try to go for a big query, we didn't get it. Happens very often, right? You try to go for a big keyword, you like, ah, oh, we can rank for that. Truth is, it didn't happen. Well, then then that's a really good occasion to uh, look at your content, look again at the search intent. As well, make a list of everything that the top five pages have, all the headings, etc. Try to look at this on your page, add a bunch of content on your page, and then do a second round of link building, like a year later, a year and a half later, something like that. And again, it's another way of capturing competitive queries. It's kind of have these iterative changes to your page and then do another round of link building every time because it, you can present it as fresh content, so you get like a proper round of that. And over time, you'll collect more and more links to that URL and have chances of doing that. So I like to do that, and that has worked quite well, specifically when you do promotion to the content. It's one of my beliefs that when you drive traffic to a page, it actually tends to do better in search, at least temporarily. Like from what I've seen, like um, it's like same. It's like they pop more in Google Discover, etc. So yeah, like updating and promoting has boosted our rankings very often, basically. Another thing that, another time when we like to do that is when the traffic used to be great on the page, but it's deteriorating over time. That's something that happens as well quite often. Basically, you let Google tell you when it's time to refresh your content by looking at Google Analytics. We essentially just go ahead and either do a partial rewrite, so add some sections to the content based on what we see ranking, or full rewrite, which is actually way more often than we'd like. Honestly, I'd like to hear from people, actually. like The one thing where I don't have like a really, really clean system 
is that. It's like content updating, like making it like everyone I know, everyone I talk to, even the biggest SEOs, they're just like, oh, we just rewrite the whole thing most of the time. I don't know. It feels like sometimes you're throwing stuff away, etc. Like it, it could be done better. I don't know what you think, Mark, but it's one thing that I'd like to hear what people do and think because for us, we very end up, very often end up with a full rewrite, even though I feel we could do better. I think it's because, not necessarily because like we feel like you need to rewrite it specifically, but just because our standards have risen quite yeah, rapidly maybe. over even like a year or two. So anything which we've written two years ago, it feels like it's shit compared to like what we. I don't think today. it's just that. You know what I think it is? I think it's sometimes it just takes the same amount of time anyway. Like really getting back deep into an article, refining re the numbers, redoing all that, etc. It takes just as long as just writing a brand new article. And, and even if you paid someone to do this, I'm not sure it would be much cheaper, to be frank. Yeah, maybe that's why, actually. But like, it's something where like, I wish there was some magical formula where you could update your content for cheap, but we just end up rewriting most of it most of the time. Uh, one thing I like to do when I update the content as well is check the people also ask section in the search query and uh, write down all the questions and actually try to answer them in there as well. Just because Google deems these questions related to the topic, so if you answer on your page, you tend to have higher chances of ranking. One of the things that you should definitely do, especially if you don't want to pay for an on-page tool, is to do that, actually. Uh, rematch the search intent, obviously we mentioned that. And then to refresh the content, we like to, we used to have a plugin called, um, what was the plugin anymore? Last updated. But actually, we don't do that anymore. Now we just changed the date in WordPress. It's cleaner. The only thing that you have to do is you have to edit your theme so it doesn't say published on, but like updated on, on, your, on the front end of your theme. But it's usually pretty easy to do that. If you use Elementor, you can do that as well with the theme builder. That's what we use. So you need to just do that, change the date, and then re-index it. So go in Webmasters Console, re-index that. And usually you get the results pretty fast, usually within like 24 hours max. Sometimes five minutes, <laughs> your rankings get boosted up quite a bit, actually. Anything else to say on updating content? No. Okay, the next one is hubs and internal linking. And I, that was like one of the most requested topics together with on-page tools, actually. I think people overthink internal links a lot. They think there's like some kind of magic into it as well. But before we jump into that, I want to remind of some basic rules. Right? First of all, how does page rank works? which is really important. Essentially, think about like a vase and just water communicating to another vase, right? It's like the more holes there is, the more water just escapes the vase and is divided equally. So let's say there's a page and that links to five pages, then the page rank is divided by five to equally to all the pages that you link to. And if there's only three pages that you link to, then it's divided by three. So the less pages that you link to, the more page rank you pass to that page, right? Another thing that is pretty much agreed on by most SEOs, and I'm pretty sure Google mentioned that as well, is that in-content links tend to matter more than navigation links. So anything on your sidebar, anything in your navigation, on your footer, etc., tends to matter less. So if you're really thinking about internal linking, you should really think mostly in terms of what's inside the content, not how you build your navigation, even though navigation is important for many other reasons. The third one is the difference between anchor text and and page rank. I think anchor text gives relevance. It essentially tells which keywords should the page rank for. It doesn't make you rank higher for that keyword. What does that is page rank, which is just a number that is associated to your page as compared to other pages on that topic. And Google decides, well, you know, it's not that simple, but essentially uses that to rank you higher. So anchor text is important for what makes what is relevant, what keywords are relevant, and the page rank, i.e., the, the link juice is essentially what makes you rank higher for these queries. And another thing, and last rule I want to mention is you cannot cheat the passing of page rank with the nofollow attribute. So people think like used to do that and will actually patch that where you could nofollow some links on your page so that only a few links would pass page rank and more page rank will be passed to these pages. Doesn't work anymore. Google doesn't use this anymore. What happens is the page rank just disappears when you nofollow internal links. So it's just like it's divided. If they say there's five links and three of them are no follow, it still divides by five, and three out of these links choose basically disappears. So you're hurting yourself more than anything. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So that's that's essentially. But you can still no follow index. So you can still link to no follow pages. They will still pass page rank, but not be indexed. Pretty much. Now that we've established the rules, it's quite simple. If you want to push a page up, just find places on your site where you can link inside your content to these pages in a relevant way. Sometimes add a paragraph. When you add sections on your, like people also ask, et cetera, you have opportunities to actually add internal links when you're doing that, et cetera. 
That's what Wikipedia does. That's how we do internal linking. We usually do it with site column, as say, authorityhacker.com, keyword tools, for example. And every time we say keyword tools, uh, every time a page is relevant to that query and I let Google tell me, it will show us these pages and we go and edit them and we'll add a link to our keyword tools page. It's pretty much that simple. But one thing that people forget, and especially as your site gets older, is that, as we just mentioned, page rank is number of links, is, is the page rank of the page divided by the number of links, right? The thing is like, the pages that matter to you today are not necessarily the pages that are going to matter to you in two or three years. And what happens is people build internal links, but don't remove internal links. And what happens in your site eventually is that because you're trying to build links from the pages that, internal links from the pages that get links, these pages tend to have a lot of internal links to pages that don't really matter to you anymore. Maybe they don't rank anymore. Maybe you don't care for the query anymore. Maybe you can't monetize it anymore. The affiliate program closed, etc. So my trick with my tip with PageRank is not going to be on building internal links because a lot of people do that. The tip is on removing internal links of the pages that don't matter too much so that you don't divide the page rank of the page too much and you give more juice to the pages that matter more to you right now. So that is basically what I wanted to say on, on internal linking. It's, it's not rocket science, but I think this part people forget. You had quite a good tip uh, a while back for actually identifying pages on your site, which you can potentially link from. You know, if you don't know every article on, on the site or whatever, you, you do, was it like site colon your site, yeah. domain.com, yeah. and then the keyword or the keyword. topic, the topic yeah. that you want to link to, and it finds all the pages on your site which mention that. Uh, well, what's even more powerful is Google tells you which pages they think is the most relevant for that keyword. So getting a link from these pages is actually the best you can do, you know? So yeah, that's like a really good way to do that. Obviously, like let's mention the plugins. There's a free version of Link Whisper actually on, on the WordPress repository. I've done a review. You can go check it out. We'll put the card as well on YouTube. Link Whisper is pretty good in the sense that like when you do internal link, you're going to just do like site collaboratory hacker keyword tools. But like inside keyword tools, we'll talk about keyword difficulty, we'll talk about search volume, we'll talk about a bunch of other subtopics. And so you need to do that for all of these if you actually wanted to think about that. The plugin does some of that for you, but it also finds a lot of very irrelevant stuff. So it's kind of like a mixed bag. They've improved it a lot since I've done the review. It's pretty good now, but it's, not, it's still not a must, I think. I think it's good, but not a must, in my, my opinion. Any final words? Yeah, just be aware of like site of pages on your site, which have a lot of external links pointing to them and try and prioritize those as places you internally link from on your site. So just go to Ahrefs, stick your site in Site Explorer and, you know, order it by backlinks or whatever. And that's, that's a good exercise to do every so often. All right. So now we're going to jump onto the last it's, and we're going to talk about title tags. Don't worry, don't run away. We're not going to say just add your keywords, although they're important. And I think one thing, actually, I'm going to talk about keywords for a second. It's like people just think on a very basic level about, oh, you need to put your keyword in your title tag. Yeah, sure. But you need to put a compound version of multiple keywords in your title tag, not one keyword. So for example, I'm going to go back to my uh, Olympic barbell example because we took it last week. Let's say your main keyword is best Olympic barbell, but maybe people type also best 20 kilo barbell which is the way of an Olympic barbell. Maybe people type best garage gym barbell, for example. These are like secondary keywords. So your title tag shouldn't be best Olympic barbell. Your title tag should be best 20 kilo Olympic barbell for your garage gym. And then I'll put something like in 2020 or something at the end. And then you can essentially have all your keywords in there. And this Google is pretty good at figure out, figuring out and ranking you for it. So I would recommend that you pick multiple keywords to use in your title tag and compound them in a way where you have all the keywords at once. Well, still making sense, please. But I think just thinking of putting keywords in title tag is very, is noob level. That's why I put it in notes. Like it's just like, it's very basic. So first thing you learn in SEO probably was like backlinks are important. So we're not, we're not going to insult your intelligence here. One thing that we've learned from the Google antitrust earrings is we have proof now that Google actually uses CTR as a ranking factor and user clicks as a ranking factor. Maybe not CTR, but user clicks as a ranking factor. So, and even if they didn't, if you optimize that, you essentially get more SEO traffic. So it's still a good thing, right? So you want to optimize your CTR on your title tags. It's one of the easiest SEO things to get more traffic really quickly as well, especially if you re-index your page. It's going to take like a few hours to start getting, you know, it's not going to be crazy most of the time, but it's going to be a bit better. And if you get higher CTR, you tend to rank higher eventually. So here's a few things you can add 
to your title tag to get higher CTR. The first one is numbers, usually at the beginning of the title tag. So if you have a list post, if you have 10 products or something, 10 best Olympic barbells or something, or like nine tips to do this, like usually numbers. There's a reason why our podcasts have so many numbers because <laughs> people actually click these, right? The other thing that works really well is bracketed items. Actually, I did that for the Alpha Investor Review as well. For example, if you check it out, I put Domain Revealed Alpha Investors Review. And I know people love case studies, so what I did is I used that, and bracketed items get a lot of attention. The third thing you can do is use all caps, so like capital letters for like one, two, three words at the end or something, like don't do this, check it out, something like that on your title tag. That works really well. And actually, for some queries, I've managed to get emojis in title tags as well. And you can actually, I don't know, it was a few months ago. I don't know if it still works, but like I've managed to do it a few times. I didn't really try again. And that works pretty well. So these are essentially the four things you can put in your title tag to get higher clicks rates. So try these numbers, bracketed items, all caps, and emojis. And the thing is like, um, how do you know you're doing well, right? Usually for these, you are going to be looking at your search console you're going to be filtering for that one page that you modified and then it will show you all the queries you rank for. And then you can actually look at the CTR. You need to you know, change the dates to see where you're at, etc. Usually what I would recommend is you put a note in Google Analytics. You can actually do that. You can actually add a little note. So when you do some kind of optimization on the page, put the URL and put what you did. And so you'll be able to actually look, look back at that and then put the same date range in Webmaster's console and you don't have to be messy with like what you changed, etc. So that is essentially title tags. You can actually test them. Now there is testing tools like AB rankings, etc. I'm not a huge fan because the numbers are not really accurate in the sense that you can't A-B test for Google, right? It's like they need to cache your title tag. They, you cannot serve two of them. So as a result, what they do is they try for two weeks one and two weeks another, et cetera. And then the thing is like they don't take into content, into account that your rankings might change, that your competitors' rankings might change, and their title tags are also different. So maybe they get more clicks, and so that's why you get less, et cetera. So as a result, it's not very reliable. I tend to prefer doing a bit of a dirty way, but... It's not worse. That, it's like I wouldn't pay for a tool for that, basically. So anything else on title tags? Nothing on title tags, but what about the basics, Gil? What about mm -hmm. my H1s, my H2s, my meta descriptions, my image alt tags? Are we going to talk about that? No. <laughs> like, not really. I mean, look. It's like, yeah, sure, having your keyword in your H1, et cetera, is important, et cetera. Having maybe alternative, like uh, secondary keywords in H2s, et cetera, is quite important. My description, honestly, Google just makes up their own most of the time at this point. You know, title tags, when we did the, the case study, we found that 40% of title tags are rewritten by Google anyway. And by the way, you put meta title, which used to exist, but it's not really a thing anymore. Title is not a meta tag, actually. It's just a title tag. Image alt tags, yeah, I, I've never seen them make any kind of difference, to be frank. We try to do this podcast based on our own experience. It's like, I know you're going to read every on-page list and they're going to say alt tags. And why? Because they copied each other. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so it's kind of my problem. I've personally never seen alt tags make a difference. I think they're important for disabled people, etc. Because like, if, you're, if you're blind, then your browser reads the alt tag to describe the image to you. And so it's a good disability feature, both for SEO... I think it's quite overblown, even though it, it might count to your keyword density. I'm not sure. I've tried and I didn't see nearly as much movement as just putting in the copy, to be honest. And I see you put page speed as well in there. Yeah, I think I, it's like Google says it, and I'm going to say that as well, despite people loving page speed. That page speed, I don't think is a ranking factor unless your site is very slow. It's like a penalty, you know? It's like, it's kind of like duplicate content. As, as long as it's good enough, it's you're you're fine. But like that, extra yeah, exactly. Five point five second, probably. Not people are like, oh, I want to load in less than one second, etc. I'm like, I mean, first of all, like most people load your site on like a four year old phone on a three G connection, not even on a four G because they're like in the countryside or something. So they definitely don't load under a second. And second of all, yeah, Google doesn't matter, doesn't care that much. I think it's it's completely overblown. Google has said that. I know there's always the case study of that guy that improves their page speed and like their traffic went up. What they don't tell you is they did a full site audit and they like cleaned the content as well and did a bunch of redirects and did a bunch of other stuff. And what can you attribute to site speed and what can you attribute to the rest? Usually it's not very clear. So yeah, there will be the odd case study. Like there is always odd case studies for random stuff. I have yet to see someone absolutely only do page speed for the last three months and see massive increases. So yeah, like we tried to focus this episode on what actually worked for us, what is on pay, what actually got us more traffic, made us money. These are the things that made us money, even though these are not the things you will find when you Google stuff. 
That's why I enjoy doing podcasts a lot more than I like doing articles this is. <laughs> anyway, any final words? No. Can we can we finish now? I'm a bit tired. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, we're going to finish, but not until people click on the subscribe button below and the like button. If you like these kind of episodes where we just talk with our heart, share what we've done, share what's worked for, the, for us, what we believe in, what we don't believe in, and try to be like truly honest with you, to be honest. Like I really, we have nothing to gain from that other than you going to check out autohackertraining.com, which is a free training that we have. If you want more content, we'll just share just practical stuff that we do. This one does, we have something to gain. We actually sell our course at the end, but the free training is worth its weight in gold according to many of the people that went through it. So go check it out and tell us in the comments if you actually liked it or not. If you have any question. Hold on, it's worth its weight in gold. It doesn't weigh anything. Well, that is still true. <laughs> okay, never mind. That was a terrible, a terrible thing. Side note though, like if you have any questions about on-page SEO, about any of the specifics which Gail's mentioned in this episode, head on over to our YouTube channel and leave a comment. If you leave a comment in the first five days of this podcast being live, we will answer them by, by the end of the week. So if you want to ask us something, go over there and, and leave a comment. All right, cool. Well, let's wrap it up. That was a really long episode. So thank you guys for watching and we'll see you next week for another episode. Bye.